Welcome to the Jaren Out Loud podcast. My name is Jaren, and I'm here to introduce you to you through strength, that you may learn to define it for yourself, discover joy in its pursuit, and develop the courage to live it out loud. I hope you enjoy the show. Mom Spaghetti. Gangsta's Paradise by Coolio was the first rap song I ever loved. I'm not saying I didn't know any music before that. By that standard, reggae would be my first love, since my first memories are of Red Red Wine, Tomorrow People, Fools Rush In, and Could You Be Loved playing in the room I remember my crib being in. To this day, it's what you'll most often find me listening to while cooking. But Coolio banged, and I had to have it. With no other option, 10-year-old me proudly marched my concerned mom over to the CD section of Warehouse Video to beg for it, only to encounter my first parental advisory label, receive a firm no, and solidify a trip to the Christian bookstore the following day. I bravely, but without letting on that I knew too much, tried to explain that one, two, three, four, get your woman on the floor meant to dance, not do sex to, but to no avail. Much to my disappointment, Disciples of Christ was the first CD I ever owned, and while DOC was better than Amy Grant, I was an educated fool with money on my mind. I had a tan in my hand and a gleam in my eye. I was a loked-out gangsta set-tripping banger, and my homies was down, so don't arouse my anger, Mom. And since we're on the subject, I was equally petty at ten. We waited in line at the same warehouse video for the midnight release of Michael Jackson's Dangerous album back in 91 making me six at the time, and likely not old enough, lyrically, for old MJ. The album cover also had a naked kid on it, which I found odd back then. Plus, Michael Jackson. Coolio never diddled anyone, and there aren't even any bad words in Gangsta's Paradise, all I'm saying. Let this go down as my first musical fuck you. Because I grew up in San Diego with too many friends named Connor, and had mostly church friends, the H-E double hockey sticks kind, my musical fuck you first grew beneath the cover of pretending to like bands like Audio Adrenaline, Switchfoot, and the Supertones. I learned enough to put on a convincing cover with the church kids, but I always thought they sucked. The music, too. It was boring. It didn't make me feel anything. And my dad liked it all, so hard pass. Full disclosure, I definitely went through a glow stick phase I'm not proud of in the 12 to 14 year old range. I used to train with my glow sticks in the garage listening to my three trance CDs and then bust them out on Friday nights at the ice arena by our house. Once I got good, I asked my parents to take me to a rave. Looking back, this was more like the musical fuck me phase. Regardless, God saw the whole thing go down and wept from laughing. So he sent us Napster, LimeWire, Kazaa, and MP3 players to defibrillate my musical fuck you back to life. Fueled by a bootleg copy of 8 Mile, I would later use this same power to download instrumental beats and battle rap my Jew friend in a La Jolla Beach parking lot. Since music wasn't the worst thing I got caught downloading, whippersnappers these days will never understand having a panic attack while waiting 20 minutes for an elbow crease. I had a near-perfect system for getting all the music that was never supposed to soil my young Christian ears burning it to a CD, and deleting the evidence off the computer so I wouldn't get busted by my parents or the internet cops like that one dumb kid who went to jail and ruined it for everyone by inspiring those terrible you-wouldn't-steal-a-car-why-would-you-download-music commercials that made everyone's parents afraid of the internet. Coincidentally, the same ones who now believe everything they read on Facebook. 
I say fuck authority. Silent majority, raised by the system, now it's time to rise against them. Pennywise. At one point, I had burnt somewhere around 300 CDs full of illegally downloaded music. Because nobody told me that I might have a touch of the tism back then, everyone just thought it was super normal that I could tell you the disc and track number of any song I had downloaded in that collection. I drove around with them all in the back seat and never labeled them other than Mix 35 so as to attract attention in the event that one was to be found. By night and behind wheel, my musical fuck you could stretch its legs, and I still love driving around with my windows rolled down and my subs turned up to this day. I've had a pair of 12s in just about everything I've owned, and I'm still that asshole at the stoplight rattling your windows. It makes me happy, what can I say? My dad gave me my first bass guitar as a birthday present around 17, although I always knew he had bought it for himself and gave it to me because he had given up on learning to play it. It was a blue Ibanez that I promptly covered in stickers, as I did with most of my other belongings. Learning to play bass by ear led me to search out all of the bass-forward music I could find. In addition to rap and punk rock, I also loved bands like the Red Hot Chili Peppers and soon learned to play nearly their entire discography by ear and tablature. I sought out their musical influences and the bassists known for their musical contributions. Old school funk with Larry Graham, solo bass with Victor Wooten, aggressive bass with Rage Against the Machine, stoner bass with Sublime and 311. I studied and learned how to copy them all. Learning the patterns of music broadened my appreciation and gave texture and complexity to my musical palette. Music was the first place my heart got to say, fuck you, stop telling me what to like or what I should be offended by. I want to make up my mind for myself. And the majority of the music I listened to reflected that. Ice Cube and Eminem expressed anger and frustration. Linkin Park, depression and anxiety. Red Hot Chili Peppers, playful rebellion and introspection. Funk was just fun. Blink-182, suppressed youth. Tupac and Nas, the poetry of the unheard. Music gave me a lexicon to describe raw emotions. I looked to, the par to my parents, the church, and the rest of the people charged with teaching me, and I didn't see this kind of honesty anywhere. Music was having the conversation that I so desperately needed, but was never allowed, of foul language that expressed the rawness of my emotions in a way that I could not. I didn't hear vulgarity. I heard the relentless honesty I so desperately wanted for myself. I wanted to be bold, honest, and unapologetic in my experience and expression of truth, just like Tupac, Nas, and Jesus. But when I looked to my authorities, I only saw fear, repression, weakness, and hypocrisy. I ain't no politician, but I'll kick it with him a minute. Because see, they call me a menace, and if the shoe fits, I'll wear it. But if they don't, then y'all can swallow the truth, grin, and bear it. Now, who's the king of these rude, ludicrous, lucrative lyrics? Put the inherit the title, put the youth in hysterics. Using his muse to his music to steer it, sharing his views and his merits. But there's a huge interference, they're saying you shouldn't hear it. Maybe it's hatred I spew, maybe it's food for the spirit. Maybe it's beautiful music I made for you to just cherish. But I'm deb debated, disputed, hated, and viewed in America as a motherfucking drug addict like you didn't experiment? Now, now, that's when you start to stare at who's in the mirror and see yourself as a kid again and you get embarrassed. And I got nothing to do but make you look stupid as parents, you fucking do-gooders. you bad you couldn't do good at marriage. Eminem. These days... I use music to set my emotional tone for just about everything. If I'm cooking, I need cooking jams before I can start. If I'm working, I need to figure out what mood of music will fit the type of work I'll be doing. 
Sometimes I simply need silence. If I'm training, I regulate the music I use based on the intent of the workout, often waving the intensity from lo-fi beats to a single emotionally charged bass-heavy song for my top set, back down to moderate and upbeat music for assistance work, returning to reggae or lo-fi again for cooldown. Music can be subconsciously soothing, or it can drive a dagger into my temples with the turn of my mood, and I've had to learn to curate the music I listen to based on the emotional effect that I know it will have on my mind, body, and movement. I started to discover these things in 2019 while I was undergoing what we will, for the sake of brevity, refer to as changes. I was evolving by the hour, it seemed, and my tastes in just about everything were also shifting. I started dressing differently, talking differently, listening to new kinds of music and going to shows, wanting to stay calm and with my emotions while I lifted rather than aggressively shutting them out. I began to feel the effects of my training partner's energy on my mood and ability to move. If I tried to crank some walk-a-flock of flame, take a massive rip of ammonia, and go to the familiar places inside where aggression and big lifts came from in the past, my body would lock up in pain and dysfunction. I couldn't lift at all, and it hurt. If I participated in the same sarcastic conversations about injuries, my lifts were shit and my mood erratic. I had stopped listening to aggressive rap and rock altogether while training just to avoid the tension in my body and be able to train. As my music preferences changed, so did my lifting. I started picking songs, still bass-heavy, that either had few words or were simply energetically mellow. I lost my pre-lift hype altogether, often replacing it with several minutes of deep breathing and tears running down my face while I approached the bar. My max effort lifts and their soundtrack became a place of encounter rather than another form of suppression. Up to this point, using music to charge up aggression had been the premise of all of my heavy lifting the part of my life where I had felt the most present and alive. I didn't know how to be strong without being aggressive, to acknowledge and embrace fear rather than trying to scream it into submission. But every time I cried my way through a big lift, a little part of me healed. Chris Stapleton got me to pull 600 pounds on the stiff bar. Keo Coco hit a 751-pound squat, plate and chain. Black was an 820-pound trap bar pull that dropped me to the floor sobbing after I set it down. Dermot Kennedy was the first lift I ever did from a place of love, and Callum Scott was the final lift and moment of closure of a chapter of my life that occurred next to a chalk bowl and in front of a crowd in Lincoln City. Music, a vital part of my sensory diet, feeds my heart the way literature unchains my mind and food restores my body. It is a second vocabulary, unspoken, massaging the subconscious mind and stirring the pools of emotion. Because I am so responsive to energetic and sensory input, I've had to practice prudence and awareness of the effect each of these has had on my experience of life. Initially, this caused a lot of cognitive dissonance, a feeling I despise enough to have a reminder tattooed on my back. The joy of hypocrisy is but for a moment. It was disorienting to my evolving identity. My fuck you didn't serve me very well anymore. Anytime I tried to put my head down and get it done, I got hurt. At first, it wasn't too bad of a transition. I had enough pain to focus on that it became easy to tap into that. There's lots of sad, powerful music that I can use to bring moments of pain, abandonment, fear, crying, and hugging my toilet. Once the pain left, I was lost. Lifting with sadness was the same as lifting with anger, it seemed. But how do you lift without either of them? How do you lift with joy, purpose, love, and strength? 
do I still want to lift now that I'm not running? Because it just doesn't feel the same anymore, and I'm not sure if I still care. Moreover, how am I supposed to fight the power and put one of the fingers on both hands up with no Vaseline while also taking every thought captive and teaching my kids that this will all make sense when I'm older? My intellect prevails from a hanging cross with nails. I reinforce the frail with lyrics that's real. Word to Christ, a disciple of the streets, trifle on beats. I decipher prophecies through a mic and say peace. Nas. My unflinching account of life as I experience it is my gift to myself and the world. Fuck you. Claiming my autonomy and self-sovereignty has been my life lesson time and time again. I have chosen and charged to walk through experiences that most others cannot just as I have been given the passion and ability to extract the lessons and share them in a way that is uniquely mine. Unlike many others, I love exploring the shadows. I need it. I've always been drawn to other outspoken outsiders, the truth speakers who manage to wrestle the intangible into submission and bind it with language. Free of the constraint of offense, I have found wisdom in the words of Nas and Thoreau, insight in the perspectives of both Eminem and Emerson, and the spirit of love and revolution in the lives and stories of Tupac and Jesus. Together, they taught me that chastity and merit are not observed but imposed, that I have the freedom to unapologetically experience my life, both the triumphs and tragedies, and that there is inherent value in every perspective and experience if only we are to look. Will I still keep the courage? I refuse to be a role model. I set goals, take control, drink out of my own bottles. I make mistakes but learn from every one, and when it's said and done, I bet this brother be a better one. If I upset you, don't stress, never forget, that God isn't finished with me yet. I feel his hand on my brain. When I write rhymes, I go blind and let the Lord do his thing. But am I less holy because I choose to puff a blunt and drink a beer with my homies? Tupac. At heart... I am and wish to be a wild, outspoken man, a rebel poet. I was given a keen mind and a sharp tongue, with currents of emotion that flow deep and tumultuously within me, yet I am rooted in unshaking personal conviction to speak the raw truth as I experience it, peppered with an articulate and justifiable sentiment of fuck you. Thank you for listening to the Jaren Out Loud podcast. For more of my content, including Ether training log, written blog posts, and more, be sure to visit jarenoutloud.com. There you can sign up for my weekly newsletter where you can have the latest updates and content delivered right to your inbox. I promise not to be annoying about it. This episode is brought to you by Cynical TV, Vitality Education On Demand. There, Anisha and I teach you to defy the status quo. Define vitality for yourself. Develop the skills and capacities to build a life of vitality on your own and deploy the fullness of who you were meant to be into your families, communities, and your own life. Enjoy a free one-week trial as well as half off your first month by using promo code OUTLOUD.